This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest podcast. This one is going to be a little bit different. We're going to hear from three members of the Rays baseball operations team, all of them vice presidents. Since Saturday was the start of the new international signing period, we'll discuss who the Rays added with Carlos Rodriguez, who still plays an important role in that area. And since the Rays have two new vice presidents, I thought it was a good time after they had a couple of weeks in their new roles to discuss the promotions and their journeys. So we'll chat with Chanda Laudermilk and Will Cousins. We start with Carlos Rodriguez, and I asked him to describe this year's Rays international class. We're very excited. I mean, we certainly, um, we, we feel like we added a, a ton of tools, you know, athletes, um, and just good ball players in a very diverse mix of, of players. Uh, we have some, some guys from Cuba, um, some guys from the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, other countries. And so I feel like it was just a really strong collection of, of athletes and tools and, um, you know, feel really good about this. I think our scouting group as a whole feels really uh, good about the, the talent that we brought in. And, and uh, you know, the bar is pretty high for, for our group and, and uh, feel like we, we uh, answered the bell. There are some years, Carlos, where you have been able to sign a top or top three or top five prospect. There have been other years where, uh, let's say, the dollars have been more spread out. Why was this, let's say, a year where maybe you you spread it out over a number of different players. Yeah, each year is certainly different. I think um, we, you know, we what we try to do is we, we we try to take a look at you know sort of the entire class. Um, you know, we try to factor in certainly what our purchasing power is with our bonus pool, right? Because in some years you have a little bit more than others. Some years you have a little bit less than others. And a lot of it is just you know trying to you know to, to do a lot of work on the back end. And this work starts years. I mean, this is each class is years of the making. And so just felt with this particular class, um, you know, we, we found, um, you know, that uh, this was, you know, sort of the approach that it, it just kind of works out organically where, you know, we, we certainly try to target, you know, some up the middle players, some, some premium positions, guys that have some really strong offensive attributes and, you know, through just sort of the, the work of our group, um, you know, kind of come together and try to define a strategy. And certainly uh, it's fluid uh, depending on, you know, just the supply demand and, and obviously the competition of the market. But regardless, there's, you know, I think we've all seen there's very, there's many different ways to get there to access premium talent. Sometimes it's at the top of the market, sometimes the middle, sometimes it's a little bit, you know, with lesser bonuses. And we, we really feel strongly that we're able to access talent in, in all of those different areas. And this year just happened to work out the way that it did. This is the second straight year where you guys, where the, the international signing has moved from July to January. How does that change um, how you go about things? And does it alter anything in terms of the fact that you have a longer look in some cases at some players? Yeah, that's, 
That's a, a definite uh, adjustment I think all teams have had to make. Um, certainly you're getting an extra six, seven months uh, with players. Um, and just really the calibration that takes place um, with, you know, with that, that, that extra time, it, it, you know, many times what you see is just physical maturation with players, just guys that you saw maybe, you know, a, a year before that they just physically look a lot different. Right. Um, I think the biggest difference for us is we're used to, to getting these guys on in, in July, um, you know, kind of during the middle of what is the DSL season and have a little bit smoother, you know, sort of signing and integration, the tricky league and everything else. And so obviously like the, you know, we get to a longer look at some of the, some of the guys, but also you lose, you do lose a little bit of developmental time, um, which we think is pretty crucial uh, with those winter months um, in, in the winter program that the players are able to participate. Um, and frankly, like, you know, get a chance to, to really, um, you know, get a really get a chance to really know um, some of our players, what makes them tick and what they need to work on kind of going into the off season. So um, certainly it's, you know, there's, there's some differences here, but, you know, we, you know, we, we adjust and, and try to make the most out of the situation that we're in. Let's hit on some of those players, obviously um, among the name talents, one that sticks out as an outfielder from Cuba, Jose Lazaro Contreras. Can you give us a, mm-hmm. a feel for how you ended up, signing him and what you think makes him potentially special in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Really exciting, really exciting player. We've talked about just tools and athlete and just some feel for the game. And uh, he really, you know, fits the bill um, for that, you know, for us. And, and the one thing about, you know, just the Cuban market is, and I think this year there was a ton of guys that, you know, sort of signed. Um, it, it certainly has evolved over, over time. I think, you know, the 10 years ago and, you know, five, 10 years ago, it was, a lot more, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of the guys that played in the Serie Nacional, plug them in and, you know, pretty much major league ready, or maybe it's you know, a little bit of polish. Um, and now you're able to get a lot younger guys. And so it's, it does create some real challenges, right? Because we're not allowed to go into Cuba to really evaluate a lot of these players. And so we, you know, we do our best to, to access and, and see, you know, cover the international events. Sometimes it's going to, you know, Mexico or Colombia or Asia to like, you know, to see some of these international tournaments in which we're able to see the Cuban players. And sometimes, you know, Contreras, he's 16. He's, he's already physically, you know, pretty uh, well put together six, one or six, two, about 200 pounds uh, can really, I mean, just has some power, um, you know, you know, present power, present run, present throw, just a guy with like really good kind of feel, and again, you can't really time how you how you see these players. Some, you're just at the mercy of whenever they they um, you know they come out and whenever they go through the um, you know just sort of the the legal hoops certainly to establish residency and be cleared um, by Major League Baseball to to evaluate and then sign. And so um, yeah, he was a guy that we you know we saw him a little bit um, you know in the international circuit, but really not a, a super. Um, famous uh splash i guess coming out and just really caught our scouts eye like right i mean right out of the, out of the shoot like this guy was just banging you know banging stuff all over the place and just you know really good feel at, at the plate and just an overall skill set that we you know we think is a desirable one and thought it, it really fit sort of the the things that we look for in, in players and so something that you know steve miller and and our scouting group you know felt really 
good about um, you know targeting him as is uh, one of our priorities and fortunate enough to to land him. And another outfielder who I think probably drew some headlines was a kid from Venezuela, Jose Sanabria. Can you give us a feel for mm-hmm. maybe how he differs and maybe how he's similar from Contreras? Yeah, Sanabria is you know he's a guy that uh, again this is when I say years in the making that just the evaluations and the history and the, in the relationships, this is a guy that our, our scouts in Venezuela did a really great job with just getting a chance to know him as a, you know, as a person, the makeup and like just watching him sort of grow up um, certainly um, made it especially difficult, uh, be, you know, having to evaluate him and, and, and honestly, like not being able to evaluate him during a pandemic just for, health and safety reasons. And, and also, you know, they had, they had their own shutdown in Venezuela, but a guy that, you know, certainly we, we kept tabs on, you know, over time and, um, but similar in, you know, w- with regards to a player that we like, you know, we like their offensive, um, the offensive capabilities, the feel at the plate, it's a really, really good swing, really solid to, to plus bat speed, uh, ball jumps off the bat with him and another guy that runs well. So, I mean, you know, he's probably, you know, it's it's hard to to, to really drop, um, you know, uh, comps on on anybody, especially when they're, you know, you know, 15, 16, 17. But like, you know, a guy that was good at baseball with good tools, and and uh, again, excited to have him, and really looking forward to seeing, you know, seeing him hit the ground here this year. And are there you've signed more than 25 players, Carlos? Is there any other name that you know you think maybe deserves a little more attention because you didn't have as many, let's say, top 50 guys on other rankings? But I know you guys worry about your own evaluations before the ranking system. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, we have a ton of guys um, that we we feel you know we feel pretty good about. Um, you know, without going into all of them, like, you know, Felix uh, Cotes is, is another, he's a switch hitting middle infielder, just really athletic, um, young body plus run plus arm and good actions at short and guy with, you know, anytime that you have that, those kind of attributes, just, you know, good athlete, you know, switch bat, like, can you know, and can do some things in the middle of the field, you know, especially with the, with the ability to run. That's, you know, it's, that's definitely a, um, an attractive uh, skill set and package. And um, I think, you know, Nikondra Ibar is also, you know, similar, like switch, you know, switch hit, shortstop, loose, he's really loose body. And again, a lot of these guys, they're switch hitters, they're shortstops, um, but they're, they're all a little bit different. You know, one guy is maybe a little bit more twitchy and, and explosive with the run and the quickness and there's, there may be another one that's a little more loose and, and smooth and, and, uh, and more strength away. And so, um, but yeah, in Venezuela, there's a guy named Larry Martinez and he's, you know, I think his, his bonus is, you know, a, a little bit uh, lesser than those other guys, but like, doesn't, you know, for us, it, you know, our evaluation of him, he's probably a little bit smaller than those other guys. I think at five ten one seventy. But this guy is a guy with you know with some some offensive um, offensive capabilities, and so another you know a middle infielder with with uh, bat speed and, and some power potential and some quickness there, and so um, and then on the mound, like I mean, there's I'm really excited about a lot of the arms that we that we got. But just an example, like we signed a guy named Jesus Ulola, um, and you know he he was a guy. He's a projectable lefty, six four, like. 
tall, skinny, and like just our scouts have been, you know, watching him since he, you know, he was 78, 79 miles an hour. Now the guy's 90, 94 with like a plus breaking ball. And so those kinds of, you know, those kinds of guys are certainly, um, you know, really um, gratifying to, uh, you know, to, to see, you know, come to fruition and be able to, to introduce them to the organization. And, and there's plenty more that I can probably rattle off, but, you know, those are a few that just kind of stood out um, that generated a lot of excitement for our group. And there's still a chance that you could add to a class that's over 25 players, correct? There's still the ability to do so uh, between now and, and the end of the signing period, correct? Yeah, 100%. You know, and we still have some – we've got some guys scheduled to sign, you know, later this week as we chip away. We, you know, <laughs> logistically it takes – you know, trying to space out and make sure that we, we do it the right way. Um, but, you know, signing 25 guys is no small feat. And so we have a few more guys that we plan on signing. And again, we're, we're kind of the one thing about our group is that we we're always trying to, to be opportunistic and sign, you know, find guys that have these attributes that we feel, you know, would, would, uh, would work well with, with our player development group and, and in the organization guys that we think have, you know, the right raw resource, um, as Mitch uh, likes to say. And so uh, certainly some guys that we expect would expect to add, you know, kind of going forward uh, as early as this week and certainly, you know, throughout the, the rest of the year and into next year. And you touched on it a little bit, Carlos. Steve Miller has taken on a much, much larger role with your international group, correct? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, he's, he's really leading, leading the charge there. And, and, you know, during the pandemic, I mean, I can't say enough about him and Brad Bozinski and, and Patrick Walters and, and uh, you know, Victor Rodriguez now and, and just Ronnie Blanco and the rest of our group, like, to keep, uh, you know, we, we, it was basically, you know, shut down just like every, you know, everywhere else, except, you know, rather than scouts just kind of here in the United States, we're trying to keep, you know, our group connected between Venezuela and, and, uh, and the Dominican and Colombia and Mexico. And, you know, and that's no small feat either, you know, that's, and, and he did just an amazing job um, leading our group and just trying to and staying connected. Uh, you know, just late December, they had their, their award ceremony <laughs> on Zoom, uh, full with video presentations. And, and, uh, and I thought, you know, I thought he did a, an amazing job. And again, you know, people like him and, and you know, really uh, put us in such a great position to go out there and compete on a daily basis. So really lucky to, you know, to have him in his leadership. Carlos, really good stuff. We appreciate some time. I know you got to get back to work, so uh, we appreciate uh, your take on the latest international signing class. Absolutely, Neil. Always a pleasure talking to you. That's Ray's VP of Baseball Operations, Carlos Rodriguez, on the international signing class. Now, when we recorded the interview Monday night, the team had not yet officially signed Miguel Tamaris, but the switch-hitting shortstop from the Dominican Republic is expected to sign, adding to a fairly large and talented class so far. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As mentioned, I wanted to introduce you to the new Rays vice presidents, starting with Chanda Laudermilk and what this promotion meant to her. 
It means a lot. Um, having had 15 years in the game and, and seeing other people ascend and, and reach their potential and to, to think about this in terms of like, oh, I, I can still do things with my career and have, have some growth for myself, it's, it's kind of been a humbling experience over the last few weeks, um, but I am just excited. I'm really feeling humbled by it and like more energized to like just do right by the people around us here. And, and so, yeah, just really happy. Was there any unique way that you were told about the news? Um, you know, sometimes with the promotion to the big leagues, uh, a player has, you know, a, a coach will come up with a unique way to do it. Did they do anything unique or if not, you know, what can you put it in context? So I think you've spent enough time with Eric Neander to know his humor. Um, so there was a little bit of, of ribbing along with delivering the news, but it was, um, it was a very kind of profound moment for me to realize that they were thinking about me in this context and um, actually were, were going to put some action behind it. So it was, it was a neat moment, but um, in true Eric fashion, there was some, there's some humor in it. Which I guess is the way he is. Did, tell me, you mentioned 15 years uh, plus in the game. How did you get into the game? And were you a baseball fan? to begin with growing up? Because you went to Texas A&M because I'm, I'm thinking Friday Night Lights football. How did you get into baseball? I grew up in the Permian Basin. So literally, Friday Night Lights was my home. Um, my mom is a Chadwick. So her, her father, Henry Barnett Chadwick, taught her the box score and she taught me the box score. And um, that's kind of baseball was the language that she and I could speak and like have good mother-daughter time. Um, Howard Junior College was a premier and elite JUCO program when I was in high school, so I would go to this to the the field there and kind of sit behind the scouts and just listen to them break down pitching. And I, I was like, "That's really interesting. That's I like just the dynamic of it was really interesting." So started paying attention more uh, on the amateur side than anything else, and um, didn't actually start following professional baseball until like '96. But yeah, baseball has always been somewhere I feel very comfortable. Um, I understand it. Um, it's it's. I've always felt really great at a stadium or a field, so I've just kind of tried to be at one as much as I can. Uh, got my start with an in internship in Houston. Uh, I was a tour guide. So <laughs> fresh off the farm, a very shy girl, um, touring a thousand people a day, walking backwards in the heat and... Uh, trying to, to make those connections and build baseball fans that way. And then um, went back to school to finish my degree, uh, graduated first class after 9-11, so jobs were a little scarce. Um, did uh, Compaq, I was the a call center person for Compaq Computers, AP, which was thrilling, um, and then recruited in oil and gas in Houston for a little bit. Um, through the relationships I built in Houston, once the recruiting position opened up in Houston, I, I got a phone call and they were, they were like, would you like to come interview for this? By that point, I'd interviewed at Houston for, for five different positions. Um, I got told no four times. So lots of persistence and tenacity finally got me in the door full time in, in 2007. And obviously then you spent several years there yeah. before eventually coming to the Rays. What led you to remain persistent through four rejection that notices that 
baseball was something you wanted to do versus it could have been football again or or other sports or what what led you to be so you know want to stay in it maybe just too dumb to know different like i don't, I don't know it, it wasn't a situation where i it was like baseball or bust but because of the relationships i'd formed in houston i kept getting those phone calls and either the position didn't get approved or there was someone slightly more qualified which i appreciate um but i i just it's it was always something on the back of my mind that if you know if i get this chance i'm, I'm gonna jump at it and I took a significant pay cut from recruiting in, in oil and gas. I was headhunting. So it was, I was, I had to tell my husband I was going to make a third of what I was going to make <laughs> in, in baseball from recruiting. But um, the quality of my day and the quality of the, the life around me got so much better that that value was a good exchange for me. Do you remember going to games then? You said it took a while. It wasn't until 96. Do you remember your first major league game you went to? Mm -hmm. Do you have any memories specifically that, you know, stick with you from baseball? Many, like a, a ton. My first professional game um, was at Arlington. And I remember it being like a million degrees and the best feeling ever. Like I, I felt bad for the players because they were cooking on the on the, the playing surface. But just the way, you know, the ball flew, jumped out of, out of the stadium. And I just remember remarking like how effervescent the crowd was and how excited they were to, to be watching. And I was like, yeah, I can, I see why professional sports is, is, is a big deal. Um, growing up in the Permian Basin and being every Friday night, the sidewalks roll up and, and all the lights come on at the stadium and everybody's there. You know, I, I just, I appreciate that community that, that, that sports bring. You eventually go from the Astros to the Rays. How did that all come about and what led you to be attracted to coming here? So I, it was December of 2017 and Reed Ryan called me into this, his office and said, hey, you know, the Rays called, they'd, they'd like to talk to you about a position. And at that point, I, we had just done some really special things in Houston. And I was like, you know what, I'm good. I'll, I'm, I, you know, thank you, but no thanks. You know, I just, I, I'm happy where I'm at. Da, da, da. And he was like, it's some baseball ops. I'm like, where do I go? What time do I be there? <laughs> like, um, he, he knew, he'd known for a while that my true desire was to be in this part of the, of the operation. And, um, had a lot of wonderful things to say about the Rays through his own experiences um, and was a big supporter in me taking, at least taking the interview. Um, I interviewed with James Click and Jonathan Ehrlichman. Those were my first two Rays that I met. And I remember walking out thinking, those guys are the smartest guys I've ever met. Number two, they think I'm an idiot. <laughs> So um, to to get the call to come here and, and meet the rest of the team was a pretty big thing. And, you know, the bar was really high because I did have a, a good thing of, of where I was. But just the way these people talked about the humans here and how they prioritize people over outcome or people over product really, like, resonated. And the fact that they were willing to install a position like they were hiring for to specifically take care of the people around them, like make that a priority, was amazing to me. 
So that's why I was like, yep, I'm in. So, and obviously things have progressed very well since. Um, so in essence, you were kind of on the HR side of things for many years with Houston. Had you always, had you interviewed with the Astros for any baseball ops jobs? And here, basically, they almost created an HR position within baseball ops, correct? It's it's very adjacent. Um, a, you know, it's a human resource role. And it's, I don't do policy, I don't do benefits, I don't do payroll or anything like that. But when we're talking about our talent development, we're talking about going out and finding and sourcing really good, rich, diverse talent, that's that's a function that I'm passionate about, which traditionally has been in an, in an HR function. Um, in, in Houston, I was, we had divided up into business units and baseball was one of my units. So I was very close to that operation or as close as I could be to that operation and um, really loved the baseball life cycle. And even one of my duties and responsibilities there was onboarding, you know, our minor leaguers to our, our major league roster and, you know, being able to be that moment with in that moment with them and see them like walk in the clubhouse for the first time about to make their debut, that that was really cool. And, you know, just the all the the romantic things that you think about um with baseball and, and getting to see that up close was was really special. So I I've I've always been drawn to how the baseball operation side works and, you know, why roster moves are made and what we value in terms of, of player talent. And so to be able to be this close to it and, you know, growing in it with these minds, I'm, I am happy as I can be. What makes the culture here special? Ugh. And what are you proudest of in your five now nearly six years with the race? There are lots of things that makes, make it special. A it's uh, first of all, from the top down, like mm, Stu has been amazing and very candid and open with how he wants it to feel for people to work here. And the words he uses are words that I really respect and resonate with. Um, Eric is a tremendous leader and um, he has the ability to show his own flaws and model behavior that is the type of behavior we want to see throughout the organization, and that's important. Um, the culture is literally people first, and I don't say that out of cliche. I say that out of example after example after example that I've seen where we're talking about decisions that need to be made, and it's, okay, well, how is it going to affect this person? Okay, now that we know that, how is it going to affect baseball? Okay, and that's the prior, that's how it works, and that that makes it better, right? Like if, if your people can come whole, then they're going to come with their best and they're going to give you their best and that makes baseball better. So um, that's for me, that's what the culture is. I appreciate, I appreciate like the casualness of it. Um, I haven't had to wear heels since I got here <laughs> and that's been a, a big plus, but um, everything's, it's just very open and not rigid and um, you have the ability to be creative and bring opinion no matter your title or your space and that helps our innovative blood run. And what are you proudest of? Oh gosh um, I think the way this team and I'm talking about the team off the field 
came together, rallied, and worked through COVID. It was hard. Um, I am thankful that each of the coworkers that I have was, you know, adamant about not being complacent during that time and, and pushing and making sure our players were taken care of and making sure each other was taken care of. Um, so, so seeing that and being able to contribute to that was, was something that I'm, I'm pretty proud of for the organization. On a personal level, and I didn't want to make this the central point of our conversation, but you are the first woman the Rays have had in a VP role in baseball ops. What does that mean in context? And do you, do you see yourself as a role model? Um, in context, uh, it's important, right? Like uh, we have a strong female contingent in our baseball operations department, and it's important that they see paths for themselves. So it's important. Um, if we're being honest, like first lady boss here was Sandy Dangler. And if it weren't for Sandy, like I, I wouldn't have the opportunity here. So um, I, as far as role model, I, I want to model behaviors that are positive and good for the organization. Um, it struck me after the announcement, and I think Topkin's article came out and I, my niece posted it on her story and I was like, Oh gosh, <laughs> didn't realize they were watching so closely, but I have, you know, I have six nieces that, that are watching and that's important to me. So it matters. And what do you see? How has your role changed or how does it change as a VP? I know if you're going to be learning a little bit more on the actual op side yep. versus let's say the hiring and the involvement of the staff side. So I get, I'm going to lift out of some of the day to day and be uh, able to do some more big picture strategic things um, with regard to how we recruit, how we source talent, um, how we um, give feedback, how we uh, evaluate, you know, performance for our, our humans here. Um, we, we are tremendously successful in our player development space. And I want to take those principles of development and apply them to our staff. And that, that's kind of the big picture thinking that I'm, I'm, we're, we're working on, on implementing. But as far as day to day, I, I, I hope that my interactions don't change much because I get to, to interact with everyone across the organization, and um, we have some tremendous people here that I just that just make my day better. Um, so I hope those interactions don't change, but I hope that um, the impact that I can have for our individual contributors and our coworkers and our teammates here can just level up, and and they can feel that impact a little bit more. And from a human side, I, I know how much the Rays value again your time away from the ballpark. What do you like to do? Do you have any hobbies? Is there anything that, or, or, or shows that you like to binge or anything like that, that, that occupies time when you're not doing baseball? I grew up landlocked, um, in, in West Texas. So the fact that I'm near water now, it like fills my soul. So anytime I can, I'm out on a stand up paddleboard or, um, at the beach, I have a couple of, of dogs that. I adore and um, spend a lot of like probably too much time with um, and then just you know hanging out with with other humans and enjoying other sports um, I didn't know I was moving to a hockey town in Florida until I got here but um, I'm, I'm learning hockey pretty quickly and uh, it's it's a great place to do that um, so and then you know catching up on on what Tom Brady's doing every every Sunday has been fun too
Well, great to have a conversation with you. Congratulations on the moves up through the baseball operations staff. And uh, we appreciate a few minutes on the latest podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Really nice to learn about Chanda's journey and her passion for the game. And I also thought it was interesting as well to learn more about the path of Will Cousins and what becoming a team vice president meant to him. Well, thank you, Neil, for having me. Uh, so for a number of years, I've overseen our R&D department here with the Rays and the transition to the VP role. Uh, I'm still going to continue to oversee that R&D group. But what that means uh, is I'll also be doing more with other departments and just helping encourage collaboration and innovation throughout the entire organization. When How did you get into baseball to begin with? What was your path and, and how much did you think about getting into sports growing up? Well, if you asked me, you know, 15 years ago what I'd be doing today, I would have told you that um, – I was going to become a math professor somewhere. So I went to you know North Carolina State, got my PhD in math, and then I was a postdoc at MIT for a couple of years. And uh, along the way, as a part of that, I did work you know modeling you know blood flow in the human brain, and also uh, at MIT I did some projects you know simulating ocean waves in collaboration with the the U.S. Navy. So uh, nothing at all related to baseball. <laughs> um, and I very much enjoyed the work, but you know what I found was I was very far removed from any sort of tangible impact. You know, kind of felt like I was, you know, writing reports and papers that went into a file cabinet somewhere and maybe didn't have much of an impact at the end of the day. So, you know, around 2015, I started to look for something new. And you know, growing up, I played a fair amount of baseball. I was, you know, I. I played high school ball, was never particularly good, but always loved the sport and continued to follow it. And, you know, as I was looking for a new path, baseball just seemed like a really interesting opportunity to, you know, not only apply some of the skills I have, but, you know, do something that, you know, I was really passionate about, which is, you know, work with a group of people to help, you know, try and uh, try and win a championship. You uh, mentioned playing baseball in high school. Uh, I know you did your undergrad at Pepperdine. Where did you grow up, and what are your baseball memories as a kid? Uh, so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. I uh, lived there my whole life. And, I mean, I think, you know, baseball memories as a kid, um, I mean, I think the main ones were, were just, you know, waking up at a Saturday morning and, you know, going to the park with my dad and having him throw me batting practice until his arm fell off and, you know, just, you know, hitting balls for just hours and hours and hours. So you went to NC state as mentioned too. And, you know, looking at that school, there have been a lot of people who've gone into the sports route via, um, who were in math, who, who do a lot of analysis. Was that something you realized there too, or did it happen more at MIT? Uh, you know, I think it, I had always considered it, you know, this career is, you know, an option in the back of my mind. Um, but it really started to happen around, you know, you know, 2013, 14, 15, when I was at MIT. And I would say, you know, some of the things that really just pushed me along this path was just to, 
to see all the various like technological developments that have come along over the years, whether that's, you know, the StatCast data, the, you know, TrackMan, things like that. I mean, these just, they're, you know, they're really game changers in just what they're able to measure and just the opportunities to do some really interesting things that, you know, maybe weren't available before, you know, these new sources of information existed. Tell me how you ended up with arrays. Um, is there any interesting story to the interview or, or getting in front of Tampa Bay? Well, uh, I reached out to a handful of teams via, via snail mail, uh, in 2015, you know, just literally, you know, printing letters and, you know, putting stamps on envelopes and, you know, sending them out to, to a bunch of teams and the Rays were, you know, one of a small handful that, uh, that actually replied to my, to my spam. And, <laughs> you know, I think in, in hindsight, you know, I, I maybe, you know, reached out to them at a good time. This was kind of late 2014, early 2015, which was shortly after, you know, Andrew Friedman left to the Dodgers. And I think they had some openings and, um, had a few conversations over the phone and came down here for a day for an interview. And it, it seemed like a great fit. So obviously things have worked out great. What have you enjoyed most about the culture with the Rays during your time here? I mean, I think the main thing that really stands out to me with the Rays is it, it's a very flat organization where staff at all levels, you know, from people who've been here for three months to people who've been here for 10 years, you know, everyone is, you know, I think really trusted and also given opportunities to develop innovative solutions to problems that we're facing, you know, and implement those solutions. And I think that's just, that's really unique. And it creates a really collaborative atmosphere where, you know, really just all employees are really, really engaged because everyone has that ability to do something very meaningful. What are you proud of stuff in the time that you've gotten to this point with Tampa Bay? Um, so when I started, you know, I think our R&D group was maybe a little bit more on the isolated side. You know, a lot of R&D work is involves data analysis. And, well, how do you do that work? Uh, the nuts and bolts of it usually involve you sitting in front of a computer and typing on a keyboard and writing code and, you know, looking at charts and graphs and things like that. And it doesn't always naturally lend itself to you know, collaborating with our scouting department or our player development department. And one of the things that, you know, I've worked really hard to do over the past, you know, six years since I've been here is try to make sure our R&D group is really engaging and interacting with, you know, the hundreds of other employees that we have here with the Rays. And if I had to pick one thing, I would say, I would say that, or I feel like we're in a much different place now compared with where we started just in terms of our engagement with, with all facets, facets of the organization. I think there was a point where you were one of the first guys when they, when they had some of the guys on the R and D side, um, be able to dress in spring training games in uniform down in the dugout. If I recall correctly, what did that mean at the time? And how much do you think those types of things also helped link the on field to the work that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, well, this was, this was a great experience. Uh, I think it was around four years ago where a handful of us here in the office uh, were given the opportunity to, you know, dress out, get in uniform and spend some time in the dugout with the team for a few spring training games. So, I mean, first of all, like 
credit to, to Kevin Cash to being open to, to something like this, because it's certainly not something that every team does, you know, so we're lucky to, to be in a place where, um, you know, our coaching staff is, is open to this sort of thing. And I think it's just, it, it's, it's meaningful in a lot of levels where I think one, it's really like representative of, of how we work, where it really is a collaborative team, whether you're someone who sits in, in front of a desk all day, or you're someone who, you know, spends every day on the field and, and in the clubhouse, like we're working together, trying to solve the same problems. Um, and also I think it was a really practically useful, uh, thing where just, you know, we have a lot of people who work on in-game strategy and maybe that's, you know, defensive positioning or, you know, you know, all the other various things that come into the in-game strategy side. And well, uh, for people who work on that sort of thing, it's really relevant to be able to spend, even if it's just a few days in the dugout and actually see, okay, Hey, the work I do, this is the environment where it needs to be used and seeing all the nuance that comes in there. The nuance is something I did want to touch on because the, there's that human side that goes along with the analytic and statistical side. How do you, how does that impact how you, or, or how do those experiences impact how you look at data and analysis, if at all? Um, they have a considerable impact. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, all the information we have is, is great. You know, we can go in and see for every single player exactly where they've hit every single ball over the course of, you know, forever, basically at this point to a ridiculous degree of precision, which is all wonderful. And it's, and it's all useful. And at the same time, um, you can't measure everything. You know, so I think, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, how we're going to align our defense against a particular hitter, for example, just having that, you know, opinion and that insight from a coach who is looking at the guy and maybe can say, hey, um, I understand we have all this information and over the course of the career, it looks like he's done this, but just watching this guy over the past two weeks, it looks like he's made a change or he's changed his approach. And just having that, having that insight and that expertise is, is really useful. Off the field, what types of things do you like to do? Because this can become an all-consuming game. And I think that Eric stresses the importance of that family life balance. Uh, well, you know, off the field, um, years ago, I stayed pretty busy, you know, just playing, you know, in various social softball leagues around the area. But over the past few years, you know, we have two young girls now, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh, so I am on the clock basically 24 seven at this point, one way or another, I'm either, you know, working here at the, uh, you know, at the park or I'm at home chasing around toddlers. Have you gotten good at that at least? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've gotten much worse. See that. I mean, this is one of those things I think, you know, chasing around a three-year-old, I've only gotten worse over time, you know, given a couple, uh, horsey rides to a three-year-old, you know, it's just, it's, it takes your, it takes a toll physically. So I, I can no longer keep up, you know, I'm just doing my best. Good stuff. I, I was also curious too, you know, I mentioned Eric in the environment he creates here. Did he come up with a creative way to let you know you were being promoted? And if so, what did he do? Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily overly creative. I w I would say, um, you know, it was just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth and, and conversations and, you know, Eric, like he always is, is like very, very earnest and, and honest and encouraging. And I mean, I think those, that's how I would describe how he delivered the news to me. And in terms of like the next frontier, 
where the next, you know, area of growth, what do you see since you've been involved with the game now since what, for seven years, eighth year with the race? I mean, I think the next frontier, you know, when we talk about, you know, baseball analytics and the use of information in the early stages of this, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, how a lot of this worked was it was maybe a, a very small insular, you know, very small group of people who had the information, maybe it was in a spreadsheet that, you know, a very small select handful of people could see. And, you know, this was definitely a, you know, a period where things were moved forward and new ideas were developed, but it wasn't a particularly inclusive approach. And I think the next frontier that we're just starting to get into is, you know, democratizing information and, you know, data analysis doesn't have to only be done by a select few of people who have math backgrounds. You know, a lot of people can, you know, even if they don't have that technical background, can look at information, combine that with the experience they have. And maybe that experience is not technical at all. Maybe that experience is exclusively playing and coaching baseball and really deliver meaningful insights and help us move the ball forward. Well, good stuff. We appreciate a few minutes. Congrats again on the promotion of vice president. Awesome. Well, thank you, Neil. That's Will Cousins, and we appreciate his time and that of Carlos Rodriguez and Shanda Laudermilk. We hope you've enjoyed the time with the three raised vice presidents in baseball operations. We do have another podcast from a prospect coming up this week with Alika Williams. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll talk with you soon.